Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, Climate Wars. This plan is the most comprehensive environmental platform ever put forward by a political party in Canada. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer has finally unveiled his much-anticipated climate change plan. But is there more to it than meets the eye, or a lot less? Can he meet his promise to hit the targets? Conservative leader Andrew Scheer joins us with the full details, and then pipeline approval. Our government has newly approved the Trans Mountain Expansion Project going forward. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau gave the green light again to the controversial pipeline that runs from Alberta to BC's coast. But will it ever actually get built? Natural Resources Minister Amarjeet Sohi joins us. And then Singh's New Deal. It's time for the party that brought Medicare to Canada to take a next major step forward. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh has released his party platform with pledges to fund universal pharmacare, dental care, vision care, even mental health care. But how does he plan to pay for it? How much will taxes go up? NDP leader Jagmeet Singh joins us. Plus, Nick Nanos joins the scrum with the latest poll numbers in the final stretch before the federal election. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. It's a promise that's dogged the conservative leader, Andrew Scheer, since he made it right here on this program back in April of 2018, that he will have a climate plan that will meet the Paris emissions reduction targets with no carbon tax. Remember this? I will un uh, unveil a plan that reaches the targets that, that we have already voted in favour. Now the wait is finally over. The plan is here. A central plank is an emissions cap on big polluters. The penalty for those that exceed the limit will be to invest money in green tech. Will the cost be passed on to consumers? Mr. Shear also pledges to help other countries reduce their emissions by exporting natural gas or clean technologies. But can Canada really get credit for that? The plan has no formal targets or even measurement tools, so how can we tell it's going to work? Let's find out. Joining me now is Conservative Party leader Andrew Scheer. Great to see you, sir. Great to be here. Promise made, promise kept. I said I'd come back to talk about the plan. You, had, you absolutely did. And you also promised on this program that the plan, which I have here, the real plan to protect the environment, would meet your commitment and your party's commitment to the Paris Climate Accord emissions reductions. Will it meet the targets? This plan gives Canada the best shot at making those targets. We know the Liberal approach isn't hitting those targets. We're falling further and further behind. Their carbon tax is not reducing emissions and it's raising the cost of everything. This plan, according to the Parliamentary Budget Officer, with our focus on technological advancements and investments in innovation, gives Canada the best shot at meeting those targets. Okay. Uh there's no, I looked through this plan. I don't see any target numbers. How much a year you're going to reduce it? And the knock on this plan is you're saying it's the best shot, but we have no way to measure it. Where are the numbers to show how much this will actually work? Mm -hmm. Well, we actually do have concrete numbers in here. Uh, we know that, as, as the PBO said, that uh, technological focus would reduce uh, emissions by about 100 megatons. That's, uh, that's, just the, uh, that's just the technological innovation component of that. Uh, we also talk about how uh, there are 3,000 coal-fired power plants in China. If just 100 of them used Canadian carbon capture technology, uh, that would reduce global emissions to the tune of about 300 megatons. Uh, the very popular but that's home renovation... But, but hold on. <clears throat> that, that's tr I, I, and we'll get to that okay. because if we can count that... But those are 
you know, if they not, if a hundred coal plants shift over to LNG, for example. But we don't know that. I mean, that's a, we don't know if China will do that. That's a hope. Uh, there aren't, the plan though, to be fair, does not document year over year how we would reach those 2030 targets. Is that fair to say? There's no real numbers there. There's just kind of wide open estimates, but no actual numbers. Well, I don't think that's entirely fair to say. Um, and when you talk about would they be interested, would other governments, other countries be interested in this type of technology, the answer is yes. Uh, they already have been knocking on our door. We have this amazing made in Canada technology, carbon capture and storage, that if we had a government that supported that, that could help leverage that, promote it, facilitate the adoption option of that, uh, that we would in fact reduce emissions, take CO2 out of the atmosphere. Okay, um, let's talk about the uh, big emitters. The key to your plan is a cap on big emitters, right? Mm -hmm. Essentially though, Mr. Shear, that's a price on carbon. How does it work if, if a big emitter exceeds whatever the cap is, they've got to pay some kind of fee. I ask you, isn't that a price on carbon? And if so, what is the price? So you've, you know that I never use the liberal term price on carbon because my view is that when the government collects the revenue that that's a tax. So what this is, is a cap, as you point out, on, on large emitters but with the flexibility that they can use those funds to invest in any number of things. But what funds, sir? If there's a, so if they're, okay, so if they're, if they're one ton over, how much do they have to invest in technology? In the end, like you're dancing around no, no, no. saying that there's a price on I, carbon. No, no, I, I reject so, that. So, so is it a price? Is it a tax? Is it a levy? Because because it sounds like a cap and trade. I, I'm, I'm over X number of tons. I have to therefore invest X number of tons. What's the number? The key difference between a tax and this plan is that the government doesn't collect this revenue. This is not going to fund programs like the Liberals are right now, giving $12 million to Loblaws and other multi-billion dollar corporations, this is an, uh, a process, uh, a mechanism, whereby these emitters can invest in reducing their emissions. They can form industry alliances. They can partner with other companies in the much? same field. I understand that. I understand the mechanism, but we, we're trying, trying to figure out what the baseline is. So once, so who sets the target? Does the federal government? Of yes, of The course. federal government sets the emitters target. Uh, of course. And then ha who sets the price on what they pay every time? Again, they exceed it. Again, we will we will set that we will set that that cap. We will but that's uh, allocate a price those on carbon. funds. But it's not a tax. It's uh, okay, not okay. a tax on okay, carbon. Okay, but so it's a cap and trade. You're capping it, and then they can trade it. In this case, they can only trade it into a tech fund. That's what it is. Well, this is. But you know, the, there are cap and trade models where. Uh, pieces of paper are bought and sold on international markets that, 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 that don't actually go into reducing emissions. They just buy a piece of paper that says this allows you to emit more emissions. I, I'm not this, suggesting this is, th this this is, is a, less effective. I'm just saying, I just want to make sure we're not, I know that there's a political, all these things are loaded. You're setting a price on carbon for big emitters, but they have to, if they exceed it, they have to pay whatever that price is back into a tech fund. And my school is, you, if you're the Prime Minister, will have to set that price on carbon per ton. And I'm going to ask you, is it going to be $50 a ton, $100 a ton? How much does that price have to be to be effective? Yes, we will be setting all those, all those rates. We will be setting that schedule. And it will be designed to ensure that large industrial emitters play their role. How do you know that emitters won't just pass the cost of that on to the consumer? 
with this model, with the incentive, uh, not just incentive, but a requirement to invest in lowering emissions, we know that that will lead to efficiencies. Uh, companies are going to be consuming less energy. They're going to find more efficient ways of producing or transporting their goods. That will lead to price reductions. So we believe that this approach will not impose higher costs on consumers because of the efficiencies to, that will come Okay, along. but I mean, that's the exact same assumptions the Liberals are no, making. but they're not because that, that, the money that they're collecting from these, co from these companies are going to government coffers. Well, no, to be, to be fair, they're, by, they're no, to be fair, to be fair, well, okay, well, that's interesting. To be fair, the Liberal plan gives a rebate to consumers. So they're actually, by law, not keeping the money. They're actually rebating. I, again, I don't want to debate their plan because I've held them account. But on your plan, are you picking winners and losers? Isn't this big companies? Like, this has happened in Australia. There's been funds like this. And big companies just fight over subsidies for their own green technology development. Often they pass on uh, whatever... Uh, cost they have to the consumer. So how do you know this is going to translate into emissions reductions? And if so, exactly how much? Mm -hmm. Well, because th they will be caps, uh, they will have to, uh, they'll have to fit within the, the schedule that, that we will uh, impose. But then they're and just investing back in their own green technology fund. How do we know when that green technology is actually going to work to pass on any emissions? Well, th th this, there will be a very robust auditing regime on this and compliance. Uh, th this is not just a set it and forget it type of plant, there will have to be certification, that there will have to be, uh, that, that, that government agencies will have to recognize, say, yes, this is actually uh, an appropriate use of, of the funds from this regime. And whether that is uh, investing in R&D at a university, whether it's several companies within an industry coming together to say, okay, we're going to, you know, start a fund at a university research center or what have you, th there's a lot of flexibility design in here. The, the reason for that is because that's a better model than the government just collecting more taxes, taking that out of the economy and making our country less competitive. Let's talk about another aspect of your plan. You want to get credit for exporting, let's say, liquefied natural gas to China to displace coal, as you spoke about earlier. Now, in, I look through the Paris Climate Accord. Now, there is a mechanism to swap. It's pretty obscure, but that would require China giving up its credits for switching to Canada. And then you know in the Paris Climate Accord, you can't count emission reductions in another country to, towards your targets. So I ask you this, just as a pure realism, are you going to try to renegotiate the Paris Climate Accord to get credits for emissions uh, reductions in other countries, which it doesn't allow right now? And two, why would China give up its credits to Canada so we can make that claim? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I firmly believe that if action we take here, if because of a government policy, whether it's a focus or an incentive or facilitation, if actions that we do here lead to reductions in global emissions, that that's something that the Canadian government should pursue. Why wouldn't we? We all know that we could shut everything off tomorrow. We could shut it all down, and within about 21 days, three weeks, global uh, pace would, would replace everything that we just did here. So I believe that when you look at countries like China, like Indonesia, like others in the, in the region, that we can leverage what we have here to reduce global emissions. At the end of the day, that's more important. Taking CO2 out of the atmosphere is more important than you know, how the paperwork follows. It's important to have these accords and it's important to, that all the countries agree on it. But what this plan does is it takes the fight global. It recognizes that if but, we only look but here... But how would you... I'm just trying to figure out... We're already 
trying to export LNG. I'm just trying to figure out how the, the sheer plan would do anything but kind of say, look, you know, forget the Paris targets. I know it doesn't allow for this, but we're going to claim credit for every time we export LNG to China. We get credit for that, even though no one else in the world regards that as part of our plan. You're just going to take credit. You know that, no, like, I just wonder I, if I you're moving around the deck no, no, chairs on the Titanic I don't here. think that's a fair way uh, to characterize this. When we look at the LNG terminal uh, that, that, that in British Columbia, that only proceeded because it got an exemption from the Liberal Carbon Tax. So there's already a recognition that if we want to play a meaningful role in reducing global emissions, that the carbon tax doesn't do that. They had to specifically exempt that. What I'm saying is that if we have an environmental policy that does not recognize that we can take action here that reduces global emissions and in fact prevents that from happening, we're not doing the world any favors. All right, I got to leave it there. Thank you so much, Andrew Shear. Thank you. Coming up on the program, the government gives the green light again to the Trans Mountain Pipeline, but will they actually put shovels in the ground? The Minister of Natural Resources joins us next to find out. Stay right here with Question Period. This second approval of the Trans Mountain Pipeline isn't a victory to celebrate. It's just another step in a process that has frankly taken too long. So Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced this week the controversial Trans Mountain Pipeline will get the green light, the go-ahead, after a nine-month delay forced by the Federal Court of Appeal. More consultations with Indigenous people and new environmental assessments have been done, leading to the green light decision. But immediately, various groups have now threatened more legal challenges and more protests. So will construction really start this summer like the Prime Minister says. Let's find out. Joining me now is the Natural Resources Minister, Amarjeet Sohi. Minister, great to have you on the program. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, the, the green light was given. I just want to reaffirm this. The shovels will go in the ground on this pipeline this summer? So as you may have noted, that uh, National Energy Board gave, uh, already issued the certificate to start the construction. Uh, and based on the information that has been provided by the uh, Trans Mountain Corporation, construction can start in September. But prior to the construction, there will be work uh, to prepare for the construction. For example, I was in uh, Edmonton, my hometown, uh, on, on Wednesday. I went to the terminal site of, uh, the, of, the, of the pipeline, met with the workers and contractors and some of the other folks who were there. They're ready to uh, start the work on the expansion of the terminal well, as well as... Oh, so, okay, so, so the summer, meaning September, just before the election. What if there's more court challenge? There have been some indigenous groups that want to challenge. The mayor of Vancouver says if there's another legal challenge, he will join. The premier of BC said... Our legal challenge may be done, but if there's another challenge, we'll support it. Could that hold up the pipeline again? We followed the clear uh, guidance from the Federal Court of Appeal ruling of August 30th, 2018. Uh, we have done extensive consultation with indigenous communities, and we have offered and are offering a very comprehensive accommodation uh, measures to deal with communities' concerns from uh, uh, protection of fish, 
rivers, water, uh, marine safety, marine mammals, uh, better response to spill. We feel very comfortable, as well as you know, just Yokobuchi, who oversaw yeah. the consultation, uh, stated that uh, we have responded to the issues of the federal court, court of appeal, that we have, engage, we have engaged in a two-way meaningful conversation with indigenous communities, and I feel very comfortable that we have discharged our duty to consult. Uh, Minister, one of the knocks on your government is that you're, you're a bunch of pleasers. You try to say yes to everybody. but And, and one of the issues is, okay, you're going to have this pipeline, which your government now gave the green light, but all the money is going to go now, and all the profits up to $500 million a year will be invested into clean technology. One of the criticisms of that is you've used public money, $4.5 billion, to buy a pipeline, and now the profits of that are going to be used for corporate welfare. How do you justify the use of those profits? Well, I, 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 I reject that premise. Uh, these, these are the incremental growth in revenue that will uh, happen because of the uh, uh, building of this pipeline. This is an investment in Canadians. This is an investment in uh, in middle class workers. But who gets the world. money from it? I'm just trying to figure out. You this say green, clean technology. So is it industry that's getting the money? Who gets that money from the from the public investment in this pipeline? So when you talk about accelerating uh, to clean and green economy, what are you talking about? Investment in renewables, investments in new new technologies, investment into non-emitting electricity, or providing incentives for Canadians to uh, make better but, but choices. Okay, but it's Canadians. But, you know, your government was criticized for giving um, some millions of dollars to a profitable company like Loblaws to shift to green technology. There's a lot of criticism. I'm just trying to get at this. The public invests $4.5 billion in a pipeline. Now whatever profits $500 million a year come from that, if it actually gets built, will go to more technology. My question, who gets that money? Is it going to be profitable companies? Is it going to be the average Canadian? Who gets that money? It, it will go to initiatives that will allow us to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. But I want to correct you on one thing. You said if it, if it gets built, this pipeline will get built. We get, gave approval to this pipeline because this is in the public interest. 99% of the oil we sell to one single customer, the United States. If we're able to expand our markets, we get a better value for our oil, and that's the incremental growth of half a billion sure, dollars okay. that we will use. Okay, yeah. now let me, let me ask you about that. In the current Trans Mountain Pipeline, we already ship 300,000 barrels of oil a day, yeah. and it all goes to the United States, and your government keeps saying it's sold at a discount. But we don't sell our existing oil to China. I think we sold two years ago, what, 600 barrels of oil to China. It's not like there's a big market. They don't have the refineries, the complex refineries for our uh, bitumen that we're shipping. A lot of folks say there is no Asian market for this if we build this. That stuff's going to go to the refineries in Washington, the refineries in California, and you're still going to sell it to the United States. What's your response to that? Well, because the, on the existing pipeline, vast majority of the oil that is going is already under contract for long-term uh, contracts with the refineries that the, the, the shippers already signed with. There's very discretionary room in the existing pipeline to send oil to China or other countries. But you that have is to why. It. No, no, that's why this expansion is important. It, with this expansion, 80% of the uh, the oil that flow through this new new expanded pipeline is already booked for by the shippers. So this is a very commercially viable project that will reap They're benefits already, for so, the Canadians. So you don't need to refine it here in Canada or ship it to California. Or refine. You're saying that 80% of a, 
of the expanded pipeline, which with triple capacity is already booked to ship to markets like Asia? It is like already Asia? booked by shippers, keeping Should in mind, okay. they have customers, okay. they, can, they, they have contracts with them. And uh, there's, no, there's no discount, so Canada will see higher revenues for that. Oh, absolutely. That's okay. the whole, whole purpose of building this pipeline, is that we want get better value for our resources and use those revenues to, uh, to accelerate the, uh, the, the, the transition to clean and green economy. Minister, i got to leave it there. I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. That is Minister Sohi. But coming up, the NDP are trying to jumpstart themselves out of polling purgatory with a packed platform of new promises. But how will they pay for it all? NDP leader Jagmeet Singh joins us next. Stay right here with Question Period. Universal pharmacare, dental care, eye care, hearing care, $15 minimum wage, restoring door-to-door mail delivery, half a million affordable housing units over 10 years. These are just part of the massive election platform series of promises that the NDP has just released. Now to pay for it, the party plans to raise taxes on corporations and the wealthy, close tax loopholes, but will it all be enough? And what to do about their plummeting poll numbers? Let's find out. Joining us now is NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Great to have you back on the program. This is a massive series of promises, so I want to just break it down and do a little reality check. Starting with Universal Pharmacare, the Liberals have laid out a plan for that. But you say you can get Universal Pharmacare up and running by 2020, next year. How realistic is that, sir, when provinces have to uh, agree to even join this? Very realistic. First off, we should be clear, the Liberals don't have a plan. They've not announced any plan. All we know is the finance minister said that they wouldn't be universal, that they might do a patchwork system. There is a report that's out that recommends effectively supporting our plan, but the Liberals have not put forward a plan to date. What we're saying is this. We would sit down with every premier in our country and say, if you spend exactly what you spend right now, you're already spending on, on medication to purchase for people who are marginalized and uh, for people who, who are in patients who are in hospitals. For the exact same amount of money that you're currently spending, we will cover every single person in your province. I can't imagine any premier who would say no to a plan to cover everyone in the but, province for the same money that they're already spending. Mr. Singh, the devil's in the details, as you know. First, you've got to get the provinces to agree because it's their jurisdiction. Secondly, you've got to get the buying agencies set up. Third, you've got to make sure you've got to make a decision of what are the drugs that you can actually buy? What would make the list? You're suggesting you can get all that done basically in the first year of a mandate. The reason is because we are the, the laggers in the world. Every other country in the world that's a developed country that has a universal healthcare system already has a form of medication coverage. We've already looked at all the models. We've looked at the other countries that have implemented this, and we can use the systems that work. We know that the formulary that works is a broad, comprehensive formulary. We'll implement the similar formulary. We know that the, the current structures to purchase and negotiate medication already exist. They're just doing it piecemeal. We've got provinces negotiating separately, federal government negotiating separately. What we're proposing is the exact same mechanism. Let's unify it and make it the buying power of 36 million Canadians using that ability to negotiate better prices, lower prices, and develop better health care that covers everyone in our country. You want to add dental care, hearing care, seniors care. You want to spend a billion dollars on child care. Can you just give me a total price on that? Because the knock on the NDP is that deficits don't matter. 
Well, on uh, Universal Pharmacare, we've already costed that out, and that's a component that we've showed the exact revenues and how much it would cost. Uh, we've got the Parliamentary Budget Office that has confirmed that this would save us money. It would save us in the order of $4 billion. And so what we're proposing is we can raise uh, close to 9 to $10 billion from our proposal to tax the richest of the 1%, those who've got personal fortunes of 20 million or more. We're going to ask them to contribute 1% billion, uh, 1% of that wealth and that's going to generate 9 to $10 billion, which will cover Pharmacare. And then we'll move forward once we've implemented Pharmacare with our other commitments, which we believe are absolutely essential. We know that our healthcare should include our teeth. It's a bit arbitrary that you can cover the entire body. You can go in for care for your jaw. You can go in for work uh, that involves your head, but it excludes your teeth. And we know that dental care is fundamentally important when it comes to healthcare. Okay. Those are elements of our plan that we'll okay. roll out in more details as it comes. You've got, I mean, you've got a laundry list of every idea I've ever heard from a progressive on this list. When do you, Jugmeet Singh, when does an NDP government balance the book? Well, our, our principles are going to be this. We, we're not going to run... Uh, deficits to fund tax cuts, we're going to make sure that Canadians get the services they need. The Liberal government ran deficits basically to give away billions of dollars to the richest corporations. That is not what we believe in. We believe in being responsible with our precious taxpayer dollars and we believe in investing those dollars into services that Canadians okay, but need. When do you yes, balance we're going to make those investments. That, we're not fine. afraid to make those investments. Okay, but when do you balance the books? I just want a number. Is it 2025? Do you, do you, do you have any plan to balance the books ever in this plan? I guess that's a, a that would be it. Anytime. Uh, we have a plan to make sure we use those dollars responsibly. We've got a plan to increase revenue. We've got a plan to propose programs that will help people out, services that will lift up Canadians that are living with the inability to purchase medication, the seniors who can't get the dental care that they need, uh, young families that are struggling because they don't have the services that they need, uh, people who can't find a place to live. Okay. We're going to make sure that people get those things that they need. We're going to do it responsibly. We're going to raise revenues because we've got a plan to raise revenue. And we're going to use those dollars responsibly to deliver the services Canadians need. I know, but you, you won't answer the question about balancing the books. Let me ask you this then. Because again, there's going to be a credibility issue. Can he do it all? Does he have the money? Well, that's well, going to be the better. I've answered. I've said we'll be responsible. But, but that's not a, being responsible. We're going to be responsible know, with but our that dollars. That's not, and I, we're going to make sure that we raise revenue. And we're going to make sure we give services to Canadians. We're going to do, the, do it the right way. Yeah, but sir, you know, if you, if you ask Canadians to pay billions of dollars for things, they would like to see more than a promise of responsibility. They'd like to see the books. But let me ask you this. You want to raise revenue. One of the ways you want to do it is increase corporate tax by raising it from 15 to 18 percent. This is as Donald Trump in the U.S., a competitor, yep. is lowering it. Let me just ask you, how much revenue, each percentage point you raise the corporate tax, how much revenue will that give the federal government? What, what, how much, you know, you go from 15 to 16 or 16 to 17, how much more money will that give you? Well, Evan, as you know that all parties now, are, there's a new system where the Parliamentary Budget Office is going to look at all of our revenue-raising tools and evaluate it. So we're waiting for the Parliamentary Budget Office to give us the, the feedback on that. We want to make sure that our numbers are verified independently. And the Parliamentary Budget Office has offered to do that. They've offered to do that for all parties, and they're going to come back with uh, the numbers on that. Okay, but if you don't, this is important to me. If you want to raise revenue for all, to, to actually make these promises a reality, not just a, not just a pie in the sky, yeah. you have to have an idea um, how much money do you think you can raise by raising corporate taxes? One, two, three percent. Do you have any idea? Is it a billion dollars a year? Is it five billion? Because if the parliamentary budget officer comes back and says it's not really enough, Mr. Singh, do you have to recalibrate all these promises? So what's the number? Do you know it? Uh, what well, we're going to wait for to see from the the parliamentary budget office. That's why they, they're there for, and they've 
provided this service. I'm going to make sure we use it. But I can tell you, generally speaking, let's look at all the measures we're looking at. We're proposing one clear metric. We've got an estimate, which would be $9 to $10 billion from the 1% wealth tax on those who have $20 million or more in personal fortune. That's one clear metric that we've looked at. We've looked at the existing uh, CRA, which has failed to do its job to make sure that the corporations that owe us money are not contributing their fair share. So we're going to tackle that. Uh, we're going to close CEO uh, tax loopholes, which we've looked at, which could raise as close to a billion dollars. Uh, we've looked at increasing the inclusion rate, which is going to raise a significant amount as well. We're going to get the costing back from the PBO. We'll give you that those details. But that's the difference. Our plan is clear. Our plan is we're going to boldly, unapologetically ask the richest to contribute fairly. And that's what Canadians expect us to do. And we are proud and ready to do that. All right, I got to leave it there. Uh, Jug Meets, Singh, leader of the NDP. Great to have you back on the program as we get ready for Thanks the campaign so season. Coming up, well, he says he's got a plan, but will he meet the targets? This scrum with special guest Avi Lewis weighs in on Andrew Scheer's new environmental plan and the liberal plan to greenlight the pipeline. Stay right here with Question Period. The plan across the board has no details, no numbers. No serious commitment to meet our international obligations. Canadians deserve better. So more than a year after he appeared on this very program saying that he would release a climate change strategy that he guaranteed would meet Canada's Paris carbon emission targets, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer has finally released the plan. And he promises to scrap the carbon tax and put an emissions cap on big polluters, all without handing down any cost to Canadian consumers. Is this a serious plan worth considering at the ballot box? There were no targets, no numbers in it. Or are the Conservatives just trying to grab headlines with a book of environmental delusions? To talk about that and the road ahead on the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, let's bring in the scrum. Tanya McCharles is a senior reporter with the Toronto Star just back from Washington. Joyce Napier is CTV's Ottawa bureau chief. He used to live in Washington. Craig Oliver is CTV's chief political commentator. He used to live in Washington. And our special guest this round is environmentalist, documentarian, co-founder of the Leap Manifesto, who is now defected to the United States impermanently, Avi Lewis. Uh, great to have all of you here. Where am I? Look at, look at my background. Oh, you're in I'm Washington. here in Vancouver. Oh. I'm in, we're, we're all burning down Washington. All right. Uh, let, he's in Vancouver, of course. Uh, I mean, let me start with you. Um, Andrew Scheer uh, released his plan. Now, I, 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 you are not the target audience, Avi Lewis. I get that. But he Maybe said not. it's the yeah. best chance to meet the Paris targets. He's not saying how we'd get there. Is it a credible plan? Well, I think if you're the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, uh, it's a fantastic plan, and it very closely mirrors the logic and specific proposals of CAP's plan that they put out uh, just a couple of weeks earlier. The notion that we can, that our climate plan under a sheer government would be to export more fracked gas and, uh, and seek carbon credits or any kind of credit for it is, uh, is sheer lunacy and it's masquerading as a climate plan, but he has absolutely no interest in doing anything about, climate, about the climate crisis. He's made that clear. That's why he took a year to put together something that could just have a headline of no taxes. It's, it's not serious at all. It, has, it, it, it doesn't uh, hold a, a drop of water uh, of climate credibility. But more than that, it really is an industry plan 
Uh, it banks everything on technology, and, uh, uh, and that's not the solution. It won't get us to the Paris targets. The Paris targets are utterly insufficient anyway. More to the point, I think it's a political plan. It's a political plan to have an answer in an election campaign mm -hmm. to the question, what are you going to do about climate, which the Liberals have hammered him yeah. for a year over. Uh, now he can say, wave this around, and yeah, I've got this. Um, Experts will tear it apart. Uh, however, you know, there will be people, a large segment of the population who will think, I want something done, and oh, he's got a plan, and he's got a plan, and everybody's got a plan. Okay, now, you know, maybe I'll go with my gut. But you know what? The sad reality is that even the liberal plan is just not enough. And any plan that is going to be effective is going to be uh, politically murderous for any of these two parties. So perhaps this plan has flaws. I agree with Avi. See, I agree with him sometimes. But I think that both, awesome. <laughs> that both plans are actually flawed. And if we really are serious about this, the cost of it is a lot higher than what the liberals are saying and a lot higher than what the conservatives are saying. So both plans lack credibility but, right but, now. But the liberal plan will work at least if they want to spend the amount of money they've yeah, got to spend. The problem right with there. Mr. Scheer is that uh, he has no plan, but he wants to pretend he's got a plan. The idea for him was reassurance. In other words, he doesn't even have to sh save, you know, one ounce of greenhouse gases. He just has to be able to say to the people who are knocking on doors, we've got a plan, and people you know just what, guys, want reassurance that there's a plan there. Avi. Craig, it's just too bad, there, it's too bad that there weren't some people uh, in this land who would actually compare the facts uh, to the proposals and actually talk about what a real plan would look like. Guys, we're supposed to be journalists. The mm. Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has laid it down. We have to cut our emissions at least in half in a decade. That is the standard by which all climate plans have mm. to be measured. That is a scientific reality. If you accept the science, then you have to put forward a plan for that. And we shouldn't be discussing anything and, else. And neither proposal and, is doing and, that. Okay, well, let me, I, let me just ask, oh, okay, yes. but let me just ask, because this, the, Shearer said, and he said to me, oh, the liberals are gonna fall short of the Paris targets now, according to the PBO, right? The, 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 and, the, and he's got and, a point there. And, and he's and absolutely right. right. But the liberals say, and I've spoken to the, the environment minister, well, now, we will, but we still have till 2030 to do regulations to get there. Is that a fair assessment? No. Well, the liberals won't do it, Tonda, but so we don't need to do regulations. It. She thinks the regulations will get right. there, and innovation and investment in clean energy. For a, to a certain extent, that's also what Shear is banking on, isn't it? So they're all trying to take up as much runway to 2030 as they can. Look, uh, the choice in front of Canadians is immediate, and I think what this week has shown us is that there's a wide opening for the Greens and the NDP because, frankly, like Avi says, they. They, they at least are committed to drastic action to achieve something that everybody seems to agree well, needs on, doing. Okay, so let me just move into the other side. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. As we the, talk about okay, climate right. change, we got the Come climate change. Come on, it's your change. show. Go on. Let's. <laughs> as we talk about the climate change issue and this, Joyce, we're also then, you know, the Liberals declared a climate emergency on one day and gave the green light to the Trans Mountain Pipeline. There. Is that a problem for Justin Trudeau? He sold this quote, grand bargain in 2015, but is that a problem Trudeau for him? got caught in his own contradictions, crippled by his own contradictions one day and then the next day, bringing in a pipeline, he hopes, uh, which would really prevent us, if we weren't already prevented, from ever meeting the par Paris targets. But I believe 
There are a lot of Canadians who will accept the same contradiction as Trudeau. Yes. We'll find that out in the election campaign, but I think that is the case. Many of them believe that they're both possible. They don't like it, but they believe it's possible. Okay, George, over to you, because that was his initial sale in 2015. I'm going to do both, a price on carbon and a pipeline. That, there's no big surprise uh, that he's you know, doing I mean, can he not do both? That's, that is the point. Can you do the transition from the kind of energy we have today to the ideal kind of energy that we want without going through this and I think that this decision was inevitable we said it here last but week the, the that his decision would guys, be the, the Prime Minister wait, has improved the worst kind of oil absolutely listen well, people, but what people, other kind this of oil is, this, oh, is, this, this, is, this is the collapse of liberal centrism this is the absolute failure of we'll keep everybody happy on the one hand on the other hand can anyone in the studio in Ottawa explain to me how you can solve a problem and make it worse at the same time you guys have to bear some responsibility for this too because for four years you've been debating this ridiculous proposition that we can continue to increase fossil fuel production and GHG emissions and also have any kind of credible climate plan at the, at the same time. People understand that that's just ridiculous. Well, and now we know, have the contradictions fully exposed. There's this nasty little thing that you've got to be practical. No, no, there are I, jobs, look, I, there's livelihoods. You know what? You know what's, what's, pra what's practical is that we all what's practical that. is that smoke well, season, yeah. smoke season in the West is overlapping with flooding season in the East. People are terrified. Young people are marching out of school in the hundreds of thousands. We are experiencing a climate terror moment oh. and, and, and we need proposals on the scale. And the science has been the same for these four years and you guys have been debating pipelines versus carbon taxes as if that was a sane thing to talk about. All right, well, I, 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 honestly, I, I'm done with this. Well, you can't be done with because a panel. I, I, hey, hey, I shocked the studio. I, 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 <laughs> you can't be done with these debates. That's right. That's what a mic job. But Tonda, I'm intrigued. For for Justin Trudeau, does the approval of this pipeline become a liability or an asset? He's fighting in. It becomes a, a liability in certain places and in certain corners with it's certain segments of the population. It's a liability approving a pipeline to many Quebec voters, even who actually do want something done on the environment. So it's a liability politically for him there. It's a liability on the lower mainland. But interior BC, it's not a liability. Alberta, well, he hadn't anything to gain there right, anyway. That's right. There's no gains. So there. yes, you know, yes, to a certain extent, it's a liability. But like we've all been saying, and Avi denies, there is a segment of the Canadian population that believes it must be done. It's for the economy, for their jobs. It's for a transition their, period. It's it a, is, and it's a trade-off, Avi. It's a trade-off. Yeah, practical. Sure. You've got to be practical. Sure. Well, Ideas let, are fantastic, but when they don't work, yeah, they don't let's work. Be, let's be practical. Let's negotiate with physics, because physics doesn't care about pragmatism. And pragmatism has brought us, is walking us down the path to climate catastrophe. We actually have an opportunity. Yeah. It's not about a life and a future of sacrifice. It's not grim. If no, we make this transition on the see, scale and speed Avi, required, Avi, right. look, you build a factory, you make a solar panel, you put it on a roof. Every single stage of that is economic activity that brings prosperity to people yep. who desperately need and it would be great jobs if, with job and security. It would be the great possibilities if, are It would be great if every city in this country actually put electric buses on the road yeah. and we all had solar panels on our roof. And that's the future that people are trying to walk who, towards. People, Nobody disagrees with that. Nobody disagrees with who's that. Who's going to Well, that's a great question. Who's going to pay for it? Well, 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 well okay. The budget officer just told us that one point... $1.6 trillion, according to the parliamentary right. budget officer, I, in, the, in the past few days has left the country for offshore tax havens. If even 10% of that to dodge, was to dodge taxes, corporations right. are walking out on at least $25 billion of taxes a year. We're wealthy. The money's there. Let's All spend right. it. Let's go get it. Uh, Avi, I'm going to release you now.
Uh, now you can finally do the mic drop. That is our, no, great to have you. But look, this is going to be the debate. Is it going to be an incremental yeah. change? Yes. Is it going to be a more dramatic change? That's what's on the table. We've got to take a break. Avi Lewis, always great to have you here, even back in the country. Uh, coming up next, the election season is upon us. So how are the parties lining up? What will be the dominant issues on the doorsteps as MPs will spend the summer knocking on your door? The scrum returns and our pollster Nick Nanos will join us as a special guest. Stay right here with Question Period. Climate plans, pipelines, immigration, China and the U.S., the economy, universal pharmacare, take your pick. These are all key issues in the campaign before the official campaign, which is right now. It's a tight race. At the top between the Liberals and the uh, Conservative Party of Canada, Andrew Scheer is holding a steady but small lead over a number of weeks. Meanwhile, the NDP head into the summer lagging in the polls with barely a ripple of attention paid to their Oprah-style platform. You get a policy, you get a policy, but... What should you watch for right now? Let's bring back the scrum and find out. Tonda McCharles is back. Joyce Napier is back. Craig Oliver is back. And our special guest this round is the president and CEO of Nanos Research, Nick Nanos. All right, Nick. Let's just start before we get to the big picture uh, to Trump and Trudeau. He went back to Washington. On the agenda was China. Obviously, it's a big issue. We've got two Canadians in jail. We're holding a Chinese Huawei executive who wants to be who the U.S. want us to extradite. How consequential is sort of repairing that relationship and solving these things politically for Justin Trudeau? Well, it's it's very consequential in terms of his personal brand because it defines him as a leader. But going hat in hand to Donald Trump to say, please help me get this Canadian kind of uh, settle this issue, I don't think is good in terms of his personal brand. It's not going to help him with the Chinese because they're not impressed with 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 President Donald Trump. And uh, I think for the liberals, they get, just got to hope that this somehow goes away. The good news is nothing's really going to happen till later in the year, but this is going to drag on and on and on and okay. on. I don't think it was hat in hand I this time. Either. I think often it is, and that's sort of what defines Canada's relationship with the United States. This time it was a lot more transactional. Donald Trump needs help. so to, to, He needs somebody to help him convince the Democrats in Congress to pass this NAFTA bill, this new NAFTA bill. So it was, I need your help, you need my help, and you saw it in the president's attitude as well. Mm -hmm. He was a lot more humble, if that's even a word we can use to describe him, but he was more subdued because he does need the Canadian Prime Minister. A rare occasion, but he did this time. Um, I disagree with what Nick said about he, it's bad for Trudeau's brand. Actually, I think it shows a mature statesman-like position of Trudeau to actually go back to the man who insulted him so publicly and to talk state and be able to do trade craft with this man. That's, that's, that's one thing. But I think politically, uh, there's something for him there too, right? I think that it, going into an election, if it seals the NAFTA deal this summer for them, if, they, if all the ducks align for them, all of that is good for the Liberals. All of that is good for Trudeau. He, do, he, he has some, a package of a deal to deliver to the electorate. He, it gives him a bit more gravitas. <clears throat> That's something his brand has been missing lately. And so I don't think it hurts I, him I in the way you're Justin suggesting. Justin Trudeau thinks that Donald Trump is going to help him, he is sadly misled. 
Trudeau could very well be roadkill for Donald Trump. He would throw him over in the proverbial New York minute and, to achieve any objective. And, so, and, 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 that's why, and that is why you did not see uh, Trudeau or the Liberals come out and crow that they had uh, a big outcome right. here, a big takeaway. They know that. They've been there, done that, saw that so, movie. So, How, sorry, Craig, go, sorry, ahead. go no, ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say the biggest uncertainty about this campaign is not how well Shear performs. It's what the American president does. At any moment, yep. he could say something during this campaign that could blow it away for Trudeau. If he's not careful, he's inconsistent, he's mercurial, this guy, and we don't know what this president and, and, might yeah, do. And this is actually a good point. One of a uh, point a liberal made to me was that they're happy to pit Trudeau v. Trump versus Sheer v. Trump. If one, and it's kind of a catty thing to say, but someone said, you know, imagine dimple-cheeked Andrew Sheer sitting next to Trump. Who do you see in that matchup? Mm -hmm. How are voters going to look at that matchup? So, you know, it is catty, but it might he might I, have a point. I, I will just say. Uh Donald Trump did not hesitate to weigh into the UK political scene, so he's, he, he may do that. Yeah, he may. Let, Nick, let me just uh, go to you. We're setting the table. The summer season starting, we're in the pre-campaign. Biggest challenges. Talk about Andrew Shearer. He released his environmental plan. Clearly a shield issue, not a sword issue for the conservatives. But he has solidified a two, three, sometimes four-point lead over the liberals. Uh, what is his big challenge and opportunity heading into the summer? His big challenge is actually his personal brand. The interesting thing in the Nanos Weekly numbers over the last eight weeks, the more Andrew Scheer is in the news and talks about his platform, the more likely he is to drive people away from unsure into the negative column. So all of his focus is actually not increasing positive views of him. It's driving people who are unsure about Andrew Scheer into the negative and side of the me about Ontario. Okay. Just tell me about Ontario, which is a battleground, and he's been tied to Doug Ford through all sorts of campaigns. Is that hurting him now that Ford's plummeting in popularity? Well, it doesn't help because of that, I'll call it, whether phantom or real, the claim that there's a hidden agenda for the Conservatives. And connections to Doug Ford are just not positive. You know, the thing is, is yeah. he can't win on the coattails of Jason Kenney and Doug Ford. Andrew Scheer has to define himself. He has to define himself as the top conservative in Canada, not just one among equals, but the leader of the federal party and the federal conservative And in movement. that regard, I think some of them are concerned that they may have peaked too early. Trudeau had a very rough year and winter, and coming off that, the conservatives rose in popularity, uh, but some of them are worried. Uh, Joyce, biggest challenge and opportunity for the NDP. We just saw Jagmeet Singh release a platform didn't get a lot of attention, but boy, it's clearly an attempt to get attention because you threw every progressive policy in the kitchen sink in there. Like, you get the feeling of someone hanging on, right, uh, with, with, with his nails. I don't know what it is. It is their numbers are crumbling in Quebec, where their numbers were pretty healthy in the last decade, very healthy. So if they start losing that kind of support, my question is, where will their support come from? And I think that the problem of the NDP is it will be a two-party race. At the end of the day, do you want Trudeau out or in? And people will vote that, and people will vote conservative. I don't think that there's going to be a lot of those yeah. side votes. Or they, may or those, some, they may lose to the Greens in some absolutely. places, right? That's, the Greens and, are and eating their lunch it, in some there's, cases. The Greens are eating their lunch as well. So it seems like it's sadly irrelevant, I would say. Well, that's interesting. We saw the blue door, red door thing didn't work once for Michael Ignatieff, and, and the orange door actually popped up. But I think they have a long road ahead. Craig, what are you watching for this summer in terms of the parties? How do they recalibrate well, before the election? I, th I think for Trudeau, it's about the ability to manage the economy, and it's about 
just trying to dispel all the ethical questions that are being raised about him and, and, and his government. And I think Trudeau already made one mistake uh, about the pipeline when he specifically said, we will be moving Earth this summer. Uh, if that doesn't happen, that's going to come back to hurt him. Uh, and that's a, that's a bad one for him. All right, that's going to be a great summer. Uh, thanks, i got to leave it there. We could do this all summer. This is what we probably Have will do all summer. summer. <laughs> all right, Tonda, Joyce, Nick, Craig, what Thank a you. great time. And look, we are on a very short summer break right now. We'll still be watching politics very closely, and we'll be gearing up for what will be an incredibly exciting election campaign coverage. It's going to be fantastic. Thanks all of you for sharing these debates and your passion for our democracy. We cannot wait for what's to come in the fall. Have a good break and we'll see you soon.